All right, good morning. Come on, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Make some noise, excited to be here. Man, in fact, look at the person sitting beside and say, I'm glad you are here today, though. I'm really glad you are here today. Why? Because you're going to take me to Cracker Barrel and get some chocolate pecan pie. Can I get a witness? Come on. That comes out, what, every November, and I'm telling you what, like, that's like, we ate that, five to ten pounds in our family, you know, we gained uh, through that, but uh, we love that chocolate pecan pie. But anyway, we want to welcome everybody to our Ashland campus, everybody watching online. Thank you so much for joining us today. And also, just like Sadie, Dad, Sadie said, I just want to take a moment and say thank you one more time to all of our veterans in the house. Thank you guys for, ladies, all you do and done and serve this great country. We are definitely not flawless, but this is the best country on the planet, and so we're super thankful for your commitment and your sacrifice. Okay, grab your Bibles. Let's go to Rome, uh, Revelation chapter three. We finally got out of chapter two. We're in chapter three in this series called Seven. Look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and so that's what we've been going through on Sunday morning, and we've been going through Revelation on Wednesday night. This Wednesday night is our last family night of the year, and everybody's like, Oh, right, right, but we're getting into the holiday season, and so we're gonna finish it with a bang, and if you haven't been to one of them, you could come hang out with us. We'd love for you to come. We'll be talking about the thousand-year reign, the millennial, and the new heaven and the new earth, and so if that intrigues you, seven o'clock right here Wednesday night, we'd love for you to be there with us. Now, the seven churches, we have a picture here. I showed this every week. I will continue to in case you've missed. We started in Ephesus. Now remember, John is on an island. He gets a vision from the Lord. He writes a letter. He makes seven copies of it. He sends it to the seven churches. In Ephesus, in Smyrna, in Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis is where we are today, Philadelphia, and, uh, and Laodicea. Now this is Western modern Turkey. You could go to these cities today. You could see the ruins uh, today if you want to go visit. I would encourage you probably not go there today. Just saying, it'd probably not be a good place for you to go and visit at this moment, but you can. You could go and tour these seven churches, tour these seven cities, and look at the biblical history um, behind it. And so what I've been trying to do is bring that same history on Sunday morning to you. So this series has kind of been like a Bible study. It's almost been like a history class. We learn a lot about the history, and then we understand the letter, what Jesus wrote to that city to conclude clearly speak to the context and to the culture of the gods and the goddesses and what's taken place, and we'll look at that today. And so Sardis was this city on top of a mountain. It's called an Acropolis. Acropolis is just a fancy word for a city that's high and lifted up on top of a mountain. And uh, King Croesus in around 547 BC, he's on top of this mountain. It's impregnable. There's no way you could penetrate this, this uh, fortress. People tried, but they never could get it. He was so wealthy that he locked himself up on top of this mountain. This mountain, think about it, if you can picture a farm, think about 30 acres. If you can think about 30 acres on top of a mountain, fortified city, steep uh, uh, cliffs where you can't get up there. He, he mined the mountain, found all this gold, gold and silver. In fact, in fact, the Lydian kings from this age, the oldest coins that we have today is traced back to right here, modern Western Turkey, 2,700 years ago. He was one of the founders of the coins. Today we're trying to get the cashless and coinless society. He invented it, this group of Lydian kings. They invented it. Well, King Cyrus comes up and says, man, I want that mountain. I wanna take that hill. And so he goes down to the local villages and he looks up and I'll show you a picture just in a moment. And he goes, guys, can y'all help me get into that city? And the villagers like, no, no, we're not gonna help. You're on your own, King Cyrus, do what you wanna do. 
And so King Cyrus put his men all the way around the mountain, but they can never get into it. Why? Because think of Lord of the Rings. I'm, I'm just in that right now, right? And so they're on top of a mountain. You can't, they're, they're in Helm's Deep, and they can't, nobody can penetrate. They can't get in. And so they keep throwing spears and stuff and rocks at them. They can't get up the mountain. And so finally, one of the smartest, wisest soldiers kept walking around this, this mountain, and he was looking for a, a soft spot. And one day he noticed a soldier on the wall fell asleep. And he's watching the soldier as he sleeps, and the soldier's helmet falls off his head, history records this, tumbles down the side of the mountain. Well, the soldier, he's like, he's like, I can't believe this happened. He doesn't know if anybody's watching or looking. And all of a sudden, the soldier disappeared. And then the soldier appeared at the bottom of the mountain and grabbed his helmet, and then the soldier disappeared. And then the soldier's back on top of the wall. So the, the, the King Cyrus guy went to him and said, listen, I think I found a secret hiding place. I saw a soldier come down, get his helmet, go back in this area. I think there's a secret. So at nighttime, they go get the Navy SEALs. They get the best of the best that King Cyrus has. He brings them, and here it is. While they were asleep, this is very important. While they were asleep, King Cyrus goes in and one night takes over the whole city. Takes it just like that. What was a fortified city became a small little opening, gave a stronghold to new King Cyrus. Now you think one time that would be okay, right? Once that's enough. But do you know that thing, thing happened again? 213 BC tells us. It tells us it happened again. The king is up there, everything's great. He's got his gold, he's fortified in. Another whole king, another whole generation. And they, somebody came and tried their best to get into it and they couldn't find a way in because they learned the lesson so they make sure they guarded that area. But the soldiers took a dead animal threw it over the wall on top of this mountain, tumbles down the hill, the vultures come and eat this animal. So the soldiers are sitting there watching the vultures. Well, the vultures fly back up on top of the mountain and they sit at part of the wall. Well, one of the soldiers scratched his head and said, hey, listen, you know, I, I read like, like how to win wars for dummies and I'm just wondering if, if there's vultures there, because I kind of study birds, if there's vultures there, they must not be no guards there because the vultures won't be sitting on a wall if a bunch of humans are sitting there. So he goes to King Achaeus, he said, listen, I think there's a, a, a weak spot over here, can we get in? And at nighttime, same thing happens. Guards skim me up the mountain, get in, and just like that, while they were asleep, they look alive on top of the mountain, but while they were asleep, the city was conquered. And then about 17 AD, history tells us one of the worst earthquakes happened in the western part of Turkey. And this 30-acre Acropolis comes sliding off the mountain, and the Bible says that someday at the end time, God in this area, in this specific area, that there will be an earthquake so bad that the mountains will crumble to the ground. 30, 25 of these 30 acres come down. They cover the village and kill hundreds and hundreds of people. So what was an Acropolis came a necropolis. What's a necropolis? The city of the dead, a graveyard. So what was this live big Acropolis is now a necropolis in this place. And so they rebuilt it and, and they, had this, they couldn't build back on the mountain obviously because the earthquake made it happen and fall, but they had this plain in between where they built their cities. And so one of the gods in this area, or the goddesses, we've talked about them, because if you notice in the letters that Jesus wrote, Jesus goes right after their gods and goddesses. Why? Because everything that God creates, Satan wants to counterfeit it. And so he tells us that Satan is behind all these mythical gods, Zeus, Dionysus, all these people, Satan is the one that's behind them. But here in this city, the goddess is Kibela. And Kilbella is the mother of all creation. 
She is known as the resurrection God. She's the one that allows things to die in the fall, brings back to life into the spring as Mother Nature, as the Mother God, Cabela, as the Mother God, she's the goddess of resurrection. She's the goddess that brings things back to life. She's the God, when you think things are dead, things come back to life. Now, for the sake of our crowd today, I'm gonna keep this through this as a PG, but she is a rated R God, maybe rated X if I really wanna go. Like, like what the goddesses and things that she does, it, it's just crazy. But there's a time that her grandson ends up basically taking his life, she resurrects him back from the dead, and because of that, she's known as the goddess of resurrection, which plays into the letter what Jesus wants to say to them. And what she did was she built her temple, or she, she's not real, but they who worship her built a temple in between an Acropolis, where they crop the city of the living, and a Necropolis, which is the city of the dead. So I have a picture here. Here's the first picture I wanna show you. This is inside her temple. You could go there today and see this. The temple was around 10 stories tall, folks. That is unbelievable. 10 stories tall. And in the background in that mountain over there, you see that jagged mountainside? That was the Acropolis. That was when the earthquake happened. It, it flattened the mountain. It came down the side. That was the mountaintop that they built Sardis on. You could go again and visit that today. But then here's the next picture inside the temple. This is the necropolis. Now it's a mountain similar, but this is the mountain of the dead. This is the city of the dead. You can't see in this picture, but there's mounds of, uh, of ground that looks like look, molehills. That is a cemetery where people have died. Now here's the thing. When you're standing in Kibela's temple and you get turned around with the columns and you look through the columns, you didn't know if you're looking at the Acropolis, the city of the living, or the Necropolis, the city of the dead. You could, it's so big, you could get in there and you see a column, like, that mountain looks like that mountain, is that the living or is that the dead? I don't know if that's alive or if that's dead or, or which way. And so that was kind of the known thing about this. So when you walked there, it was so grand and so magnificent. When you looked out the window, if I say it, you didn't know if you were looking at the city of the living or the city of the dead. And that plays into the letter that, that Jesus sends to this small city, very wealthy city. And if you notice in this letter, this city was not persecuted. You see, all, the other ones was like, man, you know, like Rome's persecuting you, people persecuting you, and all that. This city had no persecution. Jesus didn't write to the persecution. Why? Because Satan don't attack dead things. When things that are alive, when things are doing well, when things are going good, and when you're really standing up for the Lord, I promise you, the enemy will attack you. And if you are not being attacked, you might need to wake up because the enemy is gonna attack and go after anything that's trying to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So with that, we get this letter, Revelations chapter three, verse one. If you're ready to get started, so let's go. All right, here we go. Verse one, look what it says. To the angel of the church in Sardis, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, it's okay. We'd love for you to go back and watch these online. But the angel literally means messenger, in the context, the messenger is the bishop or the pastor of the churches. So John writes a letter to the pastor. The pastor gets the letter in the mail. We saw the mail route. I open up the mail and I read it to the congregation. So every single church got to hear what Jesus said to all seven churches, because it was copied there. And so we get here, so I open up the letter. You're here at church. We're here having church together. We're hearing what Jesus has to say to us. And it says, to the angel of the church in Sardis writes this. 
He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars of God say this. I don't have the time to jump into the seven spirits of God thing. We'll talk about that. We see that from the Old Testament into the New as well. But it says right here, the God that holds the seven stars. Now, we know that the seven stars, right, were these, were these messages, were the, were the lampstands, were the churches, but there's something unique, because this is the place he writes it to the church at Sardis. Why? Because the Sardis was obsessed with the afterlife. Sardis was obsessed with death and resurrection. Well, why not? It was their city. That's what they talked about all the time. When Kabbalah, she is the one who can resurrect the dead. So they were fascinated with the afterlife. But why would he write to the seven stars? Well, the reason why is because they thought the afterlife, a lot of people thought at this time, when you die, you become a star in the Milky Way, in our galaxy. But to become a star, you had to navigate the seven celestial beings. And the question always was, which God in the heavens navigates you to the afterlife to become a star? So when he wrote to the seven stars, he's talking to the seven celestial beings that they thought would take them to be in the afterlife to become one of these stars. Now, that is called astral immortality. There's a study of people that, now we won't think that today. Some people might say, hey, when I die, I become a star. They become a star. They think they're a star. They shine bright like a star. I don't know, like they think I was a, but the reality is that is not true, but they thought that was true. Well, Jesus is speaking right to that. How do I know? What were the seven wandering stars, the seven wandering we see, the celestial beings? Well, we know it's the sun, it's the moon, it's Mars, it's Mercury, it's Jupiter, it's Venus, and it's Saturn. And it was based on that mythology that the Babylonians, let me tell you how much it affects you today. You are still participating and you don't even know you're participating. Well, most people don't even know this. But the Babylonians says, we're gonna invent this calendar, we're gonna come up with this like month, we're gonna come out with this week, and we're gonna let each day of the week represent one of these celestial type beings or these, these seven stars that navigates into the afterlife. So we're gonna have sun, and we're gonna call it Sunday. Modern, we still call it Sunday. We're gonna have the moon day, because that's the moon, that's the moon. So we're gonna have a Monday, and we'll call it Monday. And then we're gonna have Mars, and they called it Mars Day. But when it came to the Western part and, and, and centuries ago, they said, well, what's the God of Mars, which is two, T-I-W. So we're gonna call this day, Tuesday, after the God, watch this, of Mars. And we know Woden is the God of Mercury. And we're gonna have Woden now as Wednesday as we represent the God of Mercury. And then Thor, where's all my Marvel friends at? Come on, man, where's Marvel? Like Thor, we know what Thor is, he's the God of Jupiter. So Thor is gonna be worshiped or looked to oppose on Thursday. And that's why we get it. And then the goddess Venus, which the fridge, that's where we get Friday and then Saturday from Saturn, Saturday. Listen, today we still, not even knowing, are following this calendar who represents these seven, these seven you know, celestial beings that navigates this myth into the outer space. Is that not crazy? The Hebrews didn't do that. Their days were numbered through the week. First day of the week, second day of the week, Thursday of the week, fourth day of the week, five, six, and the seven with the Sabbath. They didn't follow this calendar as far as the time that we call it. So when Jesus says, watch this, these celestial beings that you think navigate you into the afterlife, um, 
owl the whole world in my hand. Like he's, I've got the seven stars in my hand. Listen, I'm the one that gets you to the afterlife. I'm the one that navigates you. So when we read that, it starts to make sense. Okay, let's keep going. Verse one still, he says this, look what he says. I know your deeds, that you have a name, a reputation, that you're alive, but you're dead. Where does that come from? I know when you're in the temple there worshiping, you can't tell whether if you look at the city of the living or the city of the dead. And so you have a reputation that you're, you have this, you have this reputation that you're alive, but really you are dead inside. This is what we would call the dead church. Ever been to a dead church? On the outside they look alive, on the inside we're dead. My hope and prayer is that we never become a dead church. My hope and prayer is that you come in here when you're alive, you don't fake that you're alive, you really are alive. And I'm not talking about breathing, I'm talking about for the Lord. Because you can walk in here and look alive and then walk out of here and be dead inside. He says you have an appearance you come to church, you wave your hankies, you put the smile on, you act like everything's good, you even tote your Bible around with you, you look like you're alive. You even have the bumper sticker, right? Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus never wants to be your co-pilot. He's the pilot, okay? He's the one that controls your life. But listen, you look like you're alive, but you're dead inside. And my fear is, this is what's happening even in our church today. We look like we're alive, but the reality is we're all dead. So we gotta fix this, and he sees this. And we notice that they're not always dead because there's always a remnant. They're mostly dead. Any of my Princess Broad fans in the house? Princess Broad fans? Five of us, go watch that tonight and you'll get saved again, okay? Princess Broad. Little guy, see that hand. Bless that Lord right there. Right. He's not dead. He's mostly dead. Anyway, that, that was free. That's what, look where he keeps going. Here's what he says. How do I fix this? Number two, verse two. Be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain. Your translation may say, wake up. That's what it means to be constantly alert, to wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in my sight yet, in God's sight, which is good news. Why? Because God's not finished with you yet. I've not found your deeds completed, which means this, if you're still here, and you're still breathing, and you're still alive, God ain't finished with you yet. I still got a purpose for you, he says, so you're not dead. And then verse three, so remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Then, if you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come. That is not an end times reference to the rapture. That, my friend, is a direct context with the text where it says twice your city fell because you were asleep. And when you fall asleep, you open up the gate for the enemy. And here's the problem, I think the American church is asleep. They are slumbering asleep. They're fortified themselves in their walls and they're so happy with their walls until you sit in their seat or you park in their parking place. And they are asleep and the enemy's hands on the cradle just rocking them asleep, slumbering. And he says, if you don't wake up, just like it happened twice in your city. Y'all remember this, you remember the history lesson. Because you fell asleep, the enemy came in and overtook you. And so many of us are asleep right now, we're, we're opening up a little crack in our life that the enemy takes this little bitty foothold and makes it a stronghold. What area are you sleeping in right now? 
What area of your life is dead right now? What needs to be awakened? What needs to be a revived? He's given you, the church here, a spiritual revival, not formula, but application. You see, if you're here this morning and you need to wake up, or you need to be you know, alive, my prayer is that God will open the eyes of your heart and today you'll get saved. Because you can walk in and fake people out, and only you know your heart. I can't judge your heart, I don't know your heart. But if you never give your life to Jesus, today is the day for you to give your life to Jesus. You repent of your sin, put your faith and trust in him, and he says, I will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Everybody say all. All. Everything. But if you're here and you put your faith in Jesus, but you're asleep or you're mostly dead or you're dying because you've been praying for God to do something, God didn't do it, so now your prayer life is starting to die away because God didn't answer the prayer the way you thought he should. Your schedule's got so busy, so your, your quiet time is now dying off to the side. It's not there. It's almost dead. It's almost dead. It's dying away because you don't spend time in God's word. What area of your life right now is dying? What relationships are dying? What is being destroyed right now that because you're asleep or you're not giving attention to it, you look alive, but you're dead? What area is that? So he tells us how to have this spiritual revival, how to revive this, how to have resuscitation, how to bring back. See, everybody says, when you're gonna have revival, we need to have revival. Folks, we have revival every Sunday. People are getting saved every Sunday. Life's being changed every Sunday. Addictions are being broken every Sunday. Prodigals are coming home every Sunday. There is life change. You see, lost people don't need revival. They need revival. Lost people are dead. They need to come alive. Revival needs to be those who are living to be resuscitated. So revival is not for lost people. It's for the church. The church has to be revived. The church needs to be resuscitated. Why? Because the enemy's hands on the cradle singing lullabies and rocking this dead church to sleep. And my prayer is that we will never, ever become a dead church. That we'll always be alive in Christ. So what are some things? What has he said for the next seven minutes? Pray for me. Here we go. If you want spiritual revival, let's walk through the verses. He says right here in the verse, look at this. Be constantly on alert. Your translation may say wake up. So number one, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. You need to be on alert because there's an enemy who's prying around who wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. Satan hates you, literally, utterly hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates, he hates your job. He hates your parenting. He hates your kids. He's gonna drive a wedge between you and every relationship on the planet. He absolutely hates you. And you better be on alert because if you give him a foothold, escape, a little secret passageway in your life, he will make that a fortified city stronghold. And one day you'll wake up thinking, I think I'm alive, but really you're dead. How do I know that? One, there's no conviction of sin anymore. If you have no conviction of sin in your life anymore, your heart has been callous, your heart is hard, and you need to pray right now, dear God, break the hardness of my heart. If sin now is just a joke to you, you laugh about it, it's no big deal to you, you're not even convicted of it anymore, things you say, things you try, things you do, if you have no conviction, your heart is callous, you need to repent. And you need to get your heart right with him. There's no conviction of sin, there's no fear for God anymore. In fact, you fear culture more than you fear God. You fear what everybody else is gonna say more than you fear God. And then a big one here, how do I know that I'm not on alert or I need to wake up, is this. You have no desire to see people who are lost and dying going to hell to be saved. 
You have no care for those who are lost. You mind your own business. You go, you pay your own bills. You go to work. You do you. You do your family. Do what you gotta do, but you don't care about anybody else. You don't care about your boss, your coworker, your coach, your roommate, your classmate, your teammates, your fraternity brother, your sorority sister. You just don't care anymore. Like, you know, that somebody else will talk to them, not me. God save me. Thank you for getting me out of hell, but I ain't gonna be a witness. If that's you, listen to me. You need to wake up. And you need to be on a constant alert. The second thing he says is this, you need to strengthen the things that remain. See, they went all dead, this is kind of mostly dead. There's a little bit that remains. Strengthen with what you have. Well, what is that? Strengthen the spiritual realities that you know. What is that? Because they didn't have a Bible like we have. They didn't have the New Testament say, okay, let's all the Sardinians, I don't know if that's a real word or not, but if you're in Sardis, all the Sardinians, let's get together. We're gonna have a Bible study, okay? Let's open up the first John. Well, John just wrote us a letter. What's the, where's the second John? Like, where's this letter? They didn't have what you have. You have right here to strengthen your spiritual realities. You get to read it. You get to see prophecy come to life. That Jesus was predicted he would be born of a virgin at the same time. It's crazy. His death was predicted at the same time on the cross. You get to see this to strengthen it. But what do they know? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he was once dead and he came back to life and Kabbalah didn't do it. He did it on his own. Like he resurrected himself from the dead. So strengthen yourself what remains. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. Here's what you can do. You can still worship you don't have to have your Bible to worship. You can still praise. You can still testify. You can still share your faith with the people in the city of Sardis. So strengthen what you know that remains, which leads to the next thing he says. So remember what you have received and heard. And I think this is the biggest problem with the American church today is this. They have gotten over their salvation. They have gotten over the cross. She says right here, remember what you have heard and what you have, what is that? Jesus. What did you hear? He came, he died, and got out of the grave. What did you hear? Whoever puts their faith and trust in him will be saved. What else did you hear? That at the end times that he will resurrect you. He's the one that resurrects your life. He says, remember what you've received and heard. Jesus is the Messiah. And I believe that most people have just gotten over that. I'm thankful that he's my savior in my life, but he ain't gonna be the Lord of my life. He ain't gonna tell me how to run my marriage, my business, my finances, my academics. He ain't gonna tell me where I'm gonna go to school, where I'm not gonna go to school. I'm gonna live my life how I wanna live. Thank you for saving me, but I want you to be my savior, but I don't want you to be my Lord. This is the church of Sardis. Fits right in, no persecution. They're not making a difference. You don't have to persecute nothing because they're just chilling. They're like part of us. He goes on and says, the next thing it says, you need to keep what you know, which means to obey it. You need to be obedient. Come on, man, you know what you ought to do. Most people are like, teach me more Bible, teach me more of the Bible. I wanna go deep, I wanna go deep. And I wanna say, are you loving your wife like Christ loves the church? I really wanna go that deep, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't wanna, are you tithing? Okay, I don't wanna go deep, man. I just wanna say like, no, no, really. You're not even doing the basics. Like, teach me more, give me more, I wanna know more, but you don't even do it. He says, do with what you know. You have a little bit, remains, do with what you know. Obey it, keep it. See, people want more, and he's like, you're not even doing, you're not even forgiving the person who hurts you and wrongs you. You're not even loving your wife like, she, like Christ loved the church. Like, you're gossiping at work all the time around people on their back. Like, you're slandering people, like, and you want more? You're not even doing the basics, man. 
You see what I'm saying here? Obey what you know, what remains. And then lastly, he concludes it with repent. Now, what does it mean to repent? Listen, I say this over and over. Repent literally means to have a change in the cognitive of your thoughts of your mind. Repentance means this, I turned my mind towards Christ. Before I gave my life to Jesus, my mind was bent towards sin. It was all towards sin, and then God opened my eyes, and I saw, and when I saw, I, I chose my mind, my chose to turn my thoughts to Christ, that he is the God who says he is. He is the one and true Messiah. He is my Lord and Savior, and guess what happens? Guess what follows your thoughts, your feelings? Guess what follows feelings? Your actions. So repentance looks like this. I turn my mind towards Christ. It turns my heart and my affection towards Christ, which turns my feet towards Christ. How do I know I stop doing the sin that I'm repenting of? I stop doing it. That's what repent. And watch this. You don't just do it one time when you get saved. I'm saved. I'm secured in Christ. But watch. 24-7, you are alerted on your phone. What's going on on Fox News? What's going on in the world? Oh my gosh, I'm panicking. Oh, they're gonna bomb again. Oh, what's gonna happen? Oh, the economy's gonna get worse. How am I gonna lose my money? What am I gonna, how am I gonna put my food on the table? Oh, oh, so-and-so didn't like my post. Oh my gosh, what in the world? I wasn't invited to that party. How come they got that party? What, honey, did you get an invite to that party? Why do we go? And you're distracted by all this stuff and it pulls you down in a way and we're not on alert for what the enemy wants to do. And so we turn our mind towards Christ, turn it towards him, and watch, my heart will turn, and then my feet will turn and follow after him. And then in verse four, look what he says. But you have a few people. God always has a remnant, and Sardis. There's a few of you, you got it. There's a few of you, you get this. Like, you're not perfect, ain't nobody you're perfect, but boy, you're loyal, you're faithful, you get this. And look what he says. But a few of you people in Sardis have not soiled or stained, literally means stained, their garments. Those people, watch this, they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who, this is so important, we'll come back to this. The one who overcomes, so my question, if, you, if the one who overcomes gets this benefits, the question should be, then how do I become an overcomer? Look what it says. The one who overcomes will be clothed in the same way. How? With white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. In fact, I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. The one who has an ear, let them hear, or him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He ends every one of his statements like that. Now you're sitting there going, well, what's up with these white garments? Well, I'm gonna keep it rated PG. Cabela, or Kabbalah, in her temple, she was known as the God of resurrection because her grandson did this horrible thing, it moved her heart, and she resurrected him from the dead. That's the myth. So if you want to invoke the goddess of resurrection, you would put a white robe on, or a white garment. She did this once a year. For 40 days, they put on this in the temple and they would put this white garment on, and then they would cut themselves. And whichever garment was stained the most, spoiled the most with their blood, invoked the goddess of Kabbalah to come and indwell in them or be with them. This was like a 
parade that people would go get drunk and lit and all this stuff. They would come around the temple and they would cheer. The priest had to do this if you're a priest of hers. But if you thought yourself worthy to invoke the spirit of Kabbalah into your life, then you would put a white garment on and you would go and you would cut yourself to bleed out. And if you died, you had the faith that she would resurrect you from the dead. So Jesus says, wait, some of you, you've not spoiled, you've not stained your garments with the blood of someone else who you think invokes that spirit in your life. But if you'll become an overcomer, because people prided themselves walking around with their white robes on, with their white garments on, like how pure and look at you, like you're spiritual. They pride themselves. He says, wait, 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 here's what's gonna happen. But if you'll become an overcomer, I will clothe you in righteousness. I will clothe you with a white garment. And you don't have to worry about being covered by your blood that invokes it. My blood covers your sin. And yet what was crimson red on the outside will be white as what? Snow. And you will walk with me, not through the temple of Kabbalah, but you will walk with me in your white garment and I will call your name, watch this, before my heavenly Father. Like your name will not be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. Come on, when the roll is called up yonder, where's my old folks at? Come on now, it's okay, ain't no shame. I'm getting a few gray, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, I love that hymn. When the roll is called up yonder, I will be there. You will be there. And here's the thing. I will confess your name to God, to my heavenly Father, and to all his angels. So don't give up, Sardis. You're mostly dead. You look like you're alive, but you're dead inside. But here's how we fix it. Repent. Don't, don't participate in this, in the garments with, stained with blood. I have stained it myself. I will forgive you of all your sins, and I will make you white as snow. So don't worry about that. That is the, now knowing that context and you read this and you see it in the scripture, now you understand everyone in Sardis going, man, there's gonna come a day where Jesus is gonna come back. He's gonna resurrect me. I'm gonna walk in my white garments. And we see all through the book of Revelation, that is true, we are clothed in white when we come back in Revelation 19 with King Jesus, when Jesus destroys this world and it is gonna happen. And we see this, in the, it's clear in the text. So now they would, got, they would have read the whole end of the book of Revelation and they would have saw that. Who's these people in white garments? Who's these people come with Jesus? And they realize it would have been the church. So if you walk with Jesus, you will become an overcomer. How do I know? Look what it says in 1 John 5. Look what he says. For whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. You wanna be an overcomer? Give your life to Jesus. Who's ever been born again? You wanna be an overcomer? You wanna be who Jesus is talking about? Sorry, watch this. Whoever is born again overcomes the world, and this is the victory. That Greek word for victory is Nike. It's where we get Nike from. The Nike swoosh symbol comes from the Nike God. See, there's little idol gods all over the place. We just don't really pay attention to it. That's what victory means. And in this victory that has overcome the world is our faith. You wanna be victorious in this world? It'd be by your faith. And then look what it says in verse five. Who is the one who overcomes the world? but the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that is my prayer for you today, that you may have appearance your life, but you will wake up and not be dead. 
that we will go into what looks like to be an impregnable situation, like in our workplaces, in our, listen, I know some of you right now, you hate your job because it's so toxic, toxic. it's like a rated R place. Listen, I know I've worked in one of those environments before. I know what that's like. And you're trying to get out of it so bad because you can't stand it, listen to me. Maybe God's put you there to be the only light that those people would ever see. There's always a reason. So the question is, what, I, I always like the, you know, the Paul Harvey, you know, what's the rest of the story, right? What's the rest of the story? Where, where do we go to from here? We know some of the churches within the second century were gone. They didn't listen to what Jesus said and the church crumbled. But Sardis is different. They actually listened to the letter that Jesus wrote and they applied it to their life. And you won't believe what archeologists have found. Like I said, today, I wouldn't today, but today, you could go to every one of these cities and look at every one of the ruins and see all these temples to Zeus and Dionysus and all these gods and goddesses. You could go visit them today. And here's what the archaeologists have discovered. And they wonder what it was until they found the artifacts. I want you to look at it. Here's the next picture. You see that little brick building to your left, the bottom? You know what that is? It's a church building. I want you to think about this. Leave this up for a minute. It is a church facility. They listened to this message so much. They said, listen, we, we act like we're alive, but we're dead. Let's come alive. How do we do that? Let's go plant a church and attach it to the temple of this rated R goddess who people cover themselves thinking that their blood is what's going to heal them or resurrect them. And so that when they come, let's preach whose blood really saves them and changes them and resurrects them. See, most people wanna run from the culture. They ran to the culture. Jesus says, don't be a part of this world, but I left you in this world to change the world. So the church went and looked at it. They built a church right next to, connected to the temple. This is fascinating. Unbelievable. And listen, the history tells us this man comes in, he becomes a great bishop and a great prophetic word and begins to preach and tons and tons of people are saved in this town of Sardis. You know, I didn't have time to get every single thing because the goal was to take you back historically and let you see, maybe put flesh on when we read context and stuff in the Bible. But you've heard of the Roman roads, at least if you're leading someone to Christ. The Roman roads, what's the Roman roads? But the Romans built amazing roads. Amazing, probably some road, better roads we have today. I'm just saying, we have potholes everywhere. But anyway, they built amazing, amazing roads. Do you know today that you could go and you could see the stones that laid those roads, even today? They were there. Even today, they're there. And through Sardis, it was estimated that 15 million people in one year would travel past these cities in the Hermas Valley. This was the Hermas Valley. They would pass through these cities. And when they passed through these cities, they had storefronts, just like we do today, right off these roads, where you could stop, tie your donkey and your mule or your camel up, go in and shop and come back out. And through excavating, they found a little storefront. And here's a picture today that still, 2,000 years ago in the storefront, is these stones in what's called an anchor cross. This is considered an anchor cross. See the ends? and the sides, but look at the bottom of it. There's a round circle. That circle means it's an anchor. Look how bold these guys were. They took a stone on the other side. You see there's some writing, so hard to see in the writing. That was a testimony to Kabbalah. They took the stone, turned it upside down, etched part of the stuff out of the stone they could of what it says about her, and then on her stone, on that testimony, they etched in an anchor cross. 
Listen, this was a church that was not afraid of the culture. They didn't care what you may think. They didn't care if culture tried to cancel them. Let's go plant a church next to this rated R goddesses. Let's put our own storefront so when the Romans who come and worship Caesar walk in here, we can say there's one true God. Here's the anchor of his cross. You see what he did to this other goddess? She's nothing. She thought she was the God of resurrection. We serve the God of resurrection. Church, Sardis became alive. And it's my hope and prayer for us as Better Life Church, listen, that we don't walk around looking alive when we're really dead inside. Let's be a church that's living, that's active in our workplace, our communities, our schools, our families, and let's go out and be the light and fear God more than anything else. The one who could destroy the body and the soul, the scripture says, because he will guide us, love us, and protect us. Never, ever erase our name from that land book of life. I'm gonna ask you if you would to bow your heads. Two invitations. Number one, if you never give your life to Jesus, I beg you. Man, I can't save you. Man, if I could, I'd already done it. I can't even save myself. I beg you to give your life to Jesus. What you're hearing and reading about this man, Jesus, he knows. He's, he said, he's speaking right to every single God and goddess. He's like, what you think is false, is counterfeit from Satan. I am the one true God. And we see this contextual all the way through the scripture, even to the day. How true. Archaeologists has never found anything that denies or refutes the Bible. In fact, the Bible is confirming every single thing that archaeologists are finding. It's amazing. Unbelievable because it's true. How do I give my life to Jesus? The Bible says, confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That he is the God of resurrection. And anybody, I don't care what you said, what you tried, what you've done, he will clothe you in righteousness. He will cast your sins as far as the east is to the west to remember them no more. That's how much he loves you. Here's my second invitation. If you're here today and you're mostly dead, you got appearance, you're alive with Jesus, but inside, you know you're not. Here's my prayer for you. Do exactly what he said. Be on alert, wake up. Strengthen what, does you, what you do know, what remain. Remember who saved you, how you were saved, why you were saved. Obey what you know to be true. And then here it is, look at this, repent. The same five-step spiritual revival, if you wanna call it, is the same thing he would say to you today. Repent. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy this morning. Thank you for how relevant your word is. 2,000 years ago, and it's still living, active, breathing in our lives today. May we be a church that never looks like we're alive, but we're really dead. May we be not just getting by, but Lord, may we be a thriving church that goes into all of the nooks and crannies, all the cities and the highways and all the hollers and wherever you tell us to go to share the good news. And God, and when you save all the people that you're gonna save and you draw all the people that you're gonna draw, we'll give you all the glory. And we'll give you all the praise. For it's your name we ask and we pray. Come on out and everybody said, amen.